Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 300. We did it of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcast, or episode 34 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who really had his hopes up for that second Williams seat, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris. Morning, Robin. Yeah, just not long ago, that was uh, still holding his breath for that second Williams seat, but uh, had to yeah, change it my, up. <laughs> my dad was close to making his second billion, and then I thought I was in with a shot, but then it <laughs> fell through. <laughs> <laughs> It is Wednesday morning, September 8th, and Chris and I are going to talk about the Netherlands Grand Prix, or the Dutch Grand Prix feels a little bit more natural to me, but, you know, obviously, technically, the Netherlands Grand Prix. And I have an interview with Scott Dixon to discuss his final push for his seventh IndyCar championship. There are three IndyCar races to go this season, and it is all on the West Coast. But first, there is some news to talk about, and we have to start with the biggest news, I think. Everyone take a sigh of relief. Pierre Gasly and Sonoto are, in fact, re-signed for next year at AlphaTauri. Woo! All right. We can, we can all move on. Thank goodness. 300 podcasts, but we're still 41 behind Kimi Raikkonen's F1 starts. And... Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, his F1 career is almost finished. Do you see what I did there, Robin? I, it's the, the turn of phrase, was that, that is just the play on words was lovely. You know, what's frustrating about that, though, is it should have been 342 starts as of this recording. But uh, old Raikkonen just started playing around with the, with the wrong crowd, I guess, and had to, had to give... Uh, Robert Kubica, another shot at uh, race weekend. Yeah, so everything started over the weekend with the Kimi Raikkonen uh, retirement announcement. That was not a big surprise to anyone. It is still sad. I did write about it on funwithcars.com. You can get a little bit more of my opinion on that. You know, he's going to be 42 next month, which in the modern era of Formula One is ancient. And... Uh, it was time to go, and then that was the cornerstone that turned out to collapse the whole apparatus of the uh, silly season and who's going where for next year. Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about Kimi. I mean, he's quite a legend, really, in the sport, isn't he? He started uh, in one with Sauber. Uh, as we said, 341 starts, 21 wins. Um, he was he was the next big thing, wasn't he? Back in his McLaren days, a won lot the of people world championship. Ex- yep. Yeah, uh, well, uh, with Ferrari, not McLaren, but he was really you know the, the up and coming next generation driver that everyone was excited about, and he did he did get the, the title uh, with Ferrari by a, a measly point. But then he sort of lost his way, didn't he? And and he went rallying for a while. He, he came back with Lotus, won a couple of races. I, I don't. No, no, no. He also he competed in a couple of NASCAR events. Don't forget. Oh, there uh, you go. Camping World apologize. Truck Series and uh, and the and the National. I think it's called the National Series these days. Uh, the the series beneath uh, full on cup. And I should contest your O oh, by one measly point in 2007. He won the championship by one additional point than Lewis Hamilton did the following year. <laughs> okay. I mean, I guess technically this year we could have a, a champion decided by a half a point. 
So it could get narrower, but that's that's pretty tight. Well, yeah, he's, well he's, Hamilton, he's, Hamilton, mm-hmm. it was a it was a tie with uh, Massa, but Hamilton got the edge because of race wins. Right. I mean, yeah, but so he was clearly you can the you can go well, you can go zero points <laughs> and still win the championship. Is my point. Speaking of points, okay. And now I'm finished. Woo! Are you? So how do you reflect on his career? I mean, obviously the longevity and certainly speed in his earlier phases. But I think, you know, being overshadowed at Ferrari by Vettel, having to be a number two, uh, you know, and he seems to have lost a bit of pace more recently, even even more pace. Um, he, only, he only won, what was it, one, one Grand Prix with Ferrari in his second stint. Uh, over, yeah, over, uh, United States uh, Grand Prix seasons. in 2018. Yeah. It's sort of, it feels like, you know, it, it could have been that a little bit more to me. I think, you know, it, he had enough speed, natural speed. Maybe uh, just one championship doesn't seem to do him his natural talent justice. I don't know. Well, do you think that's harsh? Well, he was very much in contention for the championship with McLaren, uh, especially, I believe it was 2003 and 2005. He finished second in the championship both times there and had a lot of mechanical issues. Uh, His, you know, I think that in some regards, Raikkonen is entirely unique. But in many regards, Raikkonen's kind of the last standout of the old school Formula One driver in the sense that it's about getting in the car and just running to its ragged edge. He's less interested in data, ultimate fitness, finding every little thousandth of a second that he can, you know, regimented, data-driven improvements, steady improvements, those types of things. And, you know, I think he was the last driver to really kind of resist that level of commitment. And that was the difference, especially as he got older and there wasn't as much just pure natural talent to carry him um, compared to his rivals. Or, you know, I I don't even know how to describe where speed goes, but I agree with you that he didn't have quite the ultimate pace that he used to have. Yeah, but I think Kimi's coming into the sport was legendary. Mm-hmm. His attitude throughout the sport was legendary. And his disinterest in the media only made the media more interested in him. And that proved to just be absolute fun for everybody. More than anything, he'll be missed, I think. I think it's just the way to sum it up. He'll be missed. Oh, I agree. Yeah, definitely big loss for Formula One. Uh, you know, he's sort of like a modern-day James Hunt, and I believe he is a huge fan of James, right? He... he uh, he had a replica helmet for one Grand Prix not too long ago. Yeah, he's done it his way, isn't he? He's, he's gone racing. He's enjoyed himself. He's had some success. That doesn't seem to be his primary motivator, though. And um, and he's now retiring on his terms. So I think, uh, yeah, fair play to him. Uh, pretty incredible career. And obviously, he's got a few more starts left this year. So let's hope he, uh, he can get a good, couple of good finishes and go out in style. Well, and he's mm-hmm. he's uh, just real briefly he tested positive for COVID, but showed no symptoms. So hopefully that'll remain the case, and he'll be he'll be back. Maybe not Monza, because I think it is still ten days. But yep. uh, afterwards, I hopefully with no trouble. Yeah, he's expected to miss Monza. I, I, he probably is quite upset at missing 
both the Dutch and the Italian Grand Prix. Obviously, he's still a, a firm Tifosi favourite, um, so he always gets a good reaction there from his diligent uh, Ferrari days. But, you know, certainly the Dutch Grand Prix looked like a fun track uh, to run on, so I'm sure he uh, he, he was a little bit uh, disappointed not to get a That looks like a, a great place for a track day, but we'll get to that more later. <laughs> right. Um, interestingly, you know, Alfa Romeo, Sauber, whatever you want to call them, uh, have uh, not, they're not finished with finished drivers though, because they have signed Valtteri Bottas to be their lead driver on a long-term multi-year deal. Hey, when so, it comes to the puns, are you finished? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. Not sure yet. Let's just keep running. Let's see how many of these we can squeak in. It's like a contest. It's like a, a drinking game. Should have said that at the opening. Every time uh, you hear that, you take a shot. Interesting move for Valtteri. I mean, we talked a little bit about the pros and cons of Williams versus Alfa Romeo. I'm, I'm a little surprised that he's gone to Alfa Romeo. He, uh, I guess he does have history, doesn't he, with, uh, with Alfa's boss. Frederick Vassieu. Yeah, he's a yeah. good guy, actually. He's done some fun interviews. He's got a good, healthy sense of humor. Yeah, good old Fred uh, has decided to bring Botas back into the fold. I, I think... It's great that Valtteri's found uh, a home. Uh, you know, he's had a tough five years at Mercedes. He's done a very solid job. And, uh, you know, he's won uh, nine races. But it, it was definitely time for him to move on, I think. And uh, hopefully Alfa Romeo can continue to build and, and give him a decent car in the coming seasons. And I'm sure he'll do a, a very capable job of, of leading that team. It's It's interesting that they haven't announced the second driver. So there's a few... Names linked with that. Uh, obviously, the incumbent is Giovinazzi, who did a great job over the weekend to maybe strengthen his hand. But uh, Callum Eilot is still uh, being talked about. Uh, he's a Ferrari development driver. And then, you know, maybe even Schumacher might switch over because there's, there's all sorts of things going on at Haas. Well, that's, we what, <laughs> that's what I was expecting. I, was I thought that was all wrapped into it, that that would be Mick's next move up. So I was, yeah. I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I maybe just made too many assumptions but i thought that was kind of ferrari's plan is get him started in haas let him move up to alpha and then eventually when there's space move him to ferrari that was kind of the plan yeah and i i, I certainly think that there may be a, a lot of effort going into making that happen because clearly there's there's trouble it has uh we'll talk about what they got up to at the weekend but uh, in a moment but they yeah, there's no love lost between the current driver partnership it has, and maybe it's good to, to separate the two of them. So, of well, course... And, I mean, let's just be clear. Everyone holds Mr. Mazepin in the highest regard. I mean, he's one of the most rated drivers out there, so you have to take what he says with respect. I mean, there's even <laughs> Grand Prix where he doesn't spin every session. The fascinating thing about that dynamic... That was, is... my, that was my joke of the thing. I didn't, I didn't pan out. <laughs> Yeah, I thought the I thought the tumbleweed said it all, honestly, Robin. But the, <laughs> <laughs> the, these guys have known each other for a long time. They've raced, you know, together uh, in in various categories. So they should be good good drinking buddies by now. But apparently, apparently, apparently not. Anyway, I think let's let's move on to more positive news. Well, so of course, real, real quick though, I just no, I you brought it up. I want to say I I don't know where he gets where he comes off. I mean, he's been. Just surmounted, just completely outperformed by Mick. Mick has just rolled right over him. So I think he's just starting to get a little desperate, and it's just coming off as anger. That's, I mean, really, I 
to me, that's it feels pretty clear that he's just he knows that he's noticeably behind his teammate, and now he's starting to blame him for it. I mean, do you think it's a common problem being the son of a billionaire to have entitlement issues? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as I mean, you stated, you're waiting for your dad to make his second billion, so you must be the son of a billionaire. You tell me. Uh, how Has that been an issue for you so far? I'm sure I'm sure there's a currency I can find that my father is technically <laughs> a billionaire. It's certainly not U.S. dollars or British yeah, pounds, sadly. I mean, I don't want to get into geopolitical politics, but uh, there's a couple of countries that come to mind where you could probably... <laughs> we might be digressing a little bit. Exactly. Uh, look, you know, we all knew before he even set foot in Formula One, that he had problems. Uh, so none of this is a surprise. I think the only surprise is that he's still in Formula One. And, um, well, no, I guess it's not a surprise because his dad's bankrolling the team. But you would hope that somehow Gene has and Gunter Steiner can, can, can wrestle some control and, and, and introduce some decorum back into the team because this is very unpalatable. It's just not what you need. You've got two guys wrestling with the slowest car on the grid you really don't need to be driving into each other and having spats well just got on with it work together you know we're we're beyond the point of it being professional i mean that's what you're driving at i believe right i mean this is just substandard in terms of professionalism yeah i mean who is going to touch him unless his dad's foot in the bill you know and and holding up the entire team no one else you know he's not gonna unless has somehow becomes a a challenger in, in the mold of uh, Stroll's bid to buy, you know, competitiveness. If if his dad's really willing to go all in, then I can't see him ever getting a, a potential seat elsewhere. Yeah, it's, it's it's all a bit pointless. But anyway, the good news about Bottas. Let's get on to the proper news. Good news about Bottas leaving Mercedes is, of course, George Russell is now being confirmed as a Mercedes driver for 22. Uh, they haven't talked about how long that agreement's for, but it's uh, again supposedly a, a long-term agreement. So we'll have Hamilton and Russell uh, Mercedes next year. Well, it was a it was a long term agreement for them to even get there. I mean, it's been talked about for two seasons now, right? Uh, so, you know, it's it certainly I certainly hope it's long term, considering how much pain they went through to get there. Yeah, right. It would be a shame if they did a Red Bull and dumped him after half a season. <laughs> <laughs> so that's obviously very exciting to see how that's going to play out because the expectation is, and Verstappen commented as, as much over the weekend, that Russell should be pushing Hamilton pretty hard, if not immediately, but certainly in the course of next year and putting some pressure on him, which Max thinks will help help his cause. But similarly, um, he should be a more able uh, support driver or, or, or teammate in that you'll have two really competitive Mercedes uh, being able to challenge you know, Max and whoever else, Ferrari and Charles. Um, because as we saw over the weekend, you know, Bottas is still not quite there and, and didn't put as much pressure on, on Max as he should have been able to. Uh, you would imagine that if on George Hamilton, been in the car. you mean, yeah. No, I, I mean, so Bottas, Bottas' role over the weekend oh, was to... I was see, to, to... Was to cause Max support problems. Support Hamilton by putting... Yeah, I understand. Right. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he, he, he relinquished the lead rather easily, didn't he, to Max? So you would imagine that, that George... 
if Georgia was supporting Lewis in that situation, would probably put up a slightly more feisty defense. Or, you know, if Lewis is supporting George in, that, <laughs> in such a situation, that also the, the, the defense would be more robust. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. I think it's, uh, I think it's great to see someone of George's talent get the chance he's uh, deserved for a while now. So that's very exciting. And, Has, and then, have you seen any comments from Hamilton about Russell? Because he was a little bit like, oh, I've always liked Botas. And even as it was announced that Botas was going to Alfa Romeo, Hamilton said Botas was my favorite teammate and all this kind of stuff, which irked me a little bit just because I thought Jensen Button was such a strong teammate. But um, either way, I mean, has, have there been any official statements from Hamilton about having his new teammate for next year? Yeah, I think he's come out with the, the standard platitudes and, and well, welcomes him to the team and, uh, you know, look forward, looks forward to working with him. Uh, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to say, oh, bugger, it wasn't my first choice. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, I mean, he, 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 nothing, nothing too controversial there. He's been thoroughly professional. So maybe Nikita should listen and learn. But um, the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting to have George, and of course, his place at, at uh, Williams has now been firmed up today uh, with Alex Albon now being confirmed as a Williams driver for 22 alongside uh, Nicholas Latifi. So pretty much the whole grid is now uh, set. As you mentioned, Alpha Tauri also confirmed that they were sticking with the same two drivers. So I'm really, I'm really pleased, that, I mean, that Albon's got a seat for next year, because I thought... He showed enough promise in his time at uh, AlphaTauri and Red Bull to warrant more time in an F1 car. I mean, obviously, he wasn't ever able to match Max, um, and maybe he didn't do enough uh, to, to keep the seat, and, and rightly, Red Bull promoted Perez. Um, but I think he's, you know, he's another young guy that's showing a lot of, a lot of talent. He, he showed some really good racing qualities. He showed you know, turns of speed. He really was quite unlucky not to get a win. He had opportunities both in Brazil and Austria where if Lewis Hamilton hadn't hit him, he might have gone on to win. So it's great to see him get a chance at Williams. It's interesting that I've not read that Red Bull have actually released him. So I think he's still a Red Bull driver, but yet he's going to be in a Williams being powered by Mercedes that might lead to to an interesting dynamic there. That was my question all along is what is what are his ties to Red Bull? Because we had something not too dissimilar with Ocon still being tied to Mercedes for a while. It seems like there is a bit of conflict of interest here if you're still a Red Bull driver, still tied to the team somehow, and yet you're in a Mercedes-powered car, which is very much in competition with Red Bull. And furthermore, Red Bull is going to be its own engine manufacturer in the not-too-distant future. So how these things all play out does make it more complicated, certainly. And it sounded like Toto Wolff had reservations about Albon getting into the Williams seat but said he wouldn't stop it. Yeah, I mean, you have to wonder. There must be ways that they can prevent certain information leaking to a driver of a supply team. It's not like... It's not like he's going to race for Mercedes and be in Bricksworth every weekend, is it? It's, it's, it's a different situation. Williams is just buying Mercedes engines um, and gearboxes. Um, obviously, he'll get, he'll get used to the drivability and characteristics of the engines, so he'll be able to provide information back to Red Bull. 
if, if he, he is still retained. But I don't think that's of massive value, honestly. I think that's something that you can manage if, if you have to. And I think it's much better to give the guy a chance to continue his career in Formula One. So um, I think that's very positive. And I also, I'm also pretty happy Williams have decided to keep Latifi, despite the fact that he is the son of a billionaire. Because I think Nicholas has shown reasonable speed this year. I mean, he's obviously still been outperformed by George. Uh, but he's improving. Uh, he is improving. Yeah, he did another good effort at the weekend. I mean, he and George both disgraced themselves in Q2, but but 14th on the uh, on the grid wasn't a bad effort from from Nick. And uh, you know, this follows on from his uh, point scoring drive at Hungary. So, is you know, he's clearly got talent, and he seems to be much. You know, he's got the right attitude. He's a team player. He congratulated George on his promotion to Mercedes. So, I, I think that's that's a decent. Uh, lineup for Williams for next year as they continue to try and rebuild and get closer to the front of the grid or at least back into the midfield. Um, interestingly, of all the all the driver announcements, I mean, Gasly seems to be the one that's that's most upset because I think he feels his drives for AlphaTauri have warranted being reconsidered for for the Red Bull uh, drive, and clearly Christian Horner was not interested and, and obviously re-signed Perez for another year. Um, but uh, and Gasly seems to be a bit put out by that. So I think, you know, he's doing some good things in AlphaTauri, um, and so he probably needs to look outside of the Red Bull fold if he wants to get back into a front-running car. But it's hard to see where that opportunity might come, honestly. Yeah. So what did you think about? Uh, I'm, this is kind of all folded into it. It was all part of it that Botas was fairly proactively looking into a different racing seat and got offers, at least at some level, from both Williams and Alfa Romeo. It seems to be that that personal relationship that he has with uh, Vassar was, uh, definitely played a role. But in your mind, what did you, I was a little surprised that being tied to Mercedes through uh, Williams wasn't the smarter move. And Williams is clearly on an upward trajectory, and they are better funded and things like that. So... What what was your opinion about his choice of Alpha over Williams? Yeah, I mean, externally and, and, and logically, it made much more sense to go to Williams. Um, but maybe Botas has got to the point where he just wants a completely clean slate that he wanted to just um, move on from his whole Mercedes time and start again with another uh, team and, and power unit and obviously rekindle a relationship that he'd had in his in his junior days and and just uh the fact that fred made such a big point about wanting botas to lead the team and and wanted to build the team around him i mean that must have been music to his ears yeah Um, yeah yeah yeah, for sure yeah finally getting some love being recognized for the talent that he is i mean he's not he's not obviously top draw but he is a he's a very accomplished driver and he you know he has shown some incredible pace and and as you know, uh, really put Lewis, uh, you know, on the back foot at times, certainly in his qualifying speed. Um, you know, the race pace was never quite there, but, you know, he didn't, he did a really good job and he was instrumental in Mercedes' success over the last few seasons, helping Lewis to the Drivers' Championship and the team to the Constructors' Championship. So to have someone come to you and say, hey, you know, I want to build the team around you and, and, and move forward, um, it must have been must have been very welcoming and maybe Jos Capito wasn't making that type of offer you know especially as as the team's being partly bankrolled by 
the Latifi family, maybe you couldn't make the same promises. So, so that to me is is my interpretation of what's going on. Yeah, that's entirely fair. So I think you um, had a lovely segue there um, with uh, the Williams drivers not having the best qualifying uh, <laughs> at the Netherlands Grand Prix. Um, I do actually want to take a little bit of issue of that in the sense that I don't think they should be equivocated. Uh, Russell was pushing incredibly hard to put in um, another mega Q2 lap that would could have very possibly get him into Q3. Or was this Q1? Now, I'm, now i got to be careful with him. Either way, and he pushed too hard. Maybe Augusta Wind caught him out in a bad time, and he lost the car and got into the barrier. Latifi put a wheel in the grass. That, I, that's two different things. Do you know what I mean? Like, Latifi just just didn't put the car in the right place. Well, but but that the mitigating factor there was there was a back marker, wasn't there? So just going in just before that right-hander, he there was there was uh, I, I think it was Vettel, but I could be wrong in an Aston Martin, and he was offline and he was going slowly, giving Latifi space. But I think that might have just distracted him, and so he maybe wanted to give that car a little bit more space and, and then put the wheel on the grass. So I'm willing to give him some allowance for being slightly unlucky in terms of catching a, a slower car at that point on the set of, the, of the track. If they, both incidents were in Q2, and yeah, George was absolutely flying. Apparently he was trying to go through that one corner 10 kilometers per hour quicker than, than Verstappen managed. <laughs> so he was certainly <laughs> he was certainly pushing, and, and you know, you know, all credit to him. He hasn't made too many mistakes um, this season in qualifying, so you can allow him one or two. And he still qualified eleventh, which is a pretty good effort. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was on the back of a of a solid run, and he thought there was more there. And yeah, no, you're absolutely right. He was he just getting past the back marker, but to me, it seemed that the car was way offline, as you were saying, way offline, slow, and. You know, I, as you could see, I mean, it was obvious an instant spin because there was no grip on the on the left rear. I, yeah. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I I I, I think it's fair. You're 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 feeling generous today, and I shouldn't attack that too much. But uh, <laughs> but well, the I mean, circumstances the between those two causing <laughs> two red flags and poor Williams, yeah. the work they had on his Saturday, just. <laughs> going skyrocketing up in five minutes time um but uh yeah it was pretty different circumstances in you know qualifying i i'm gonna kind of that was probably the highlight of the weekend for me yeah i mean look the track the track itself let's talk about the track is a very great layout i mean it looks like a really fun circuit to drive on right to drive Um, on yes to drive drive on yeah and and most of the most of the t- of the drivers actually uh, made that. It's great. They love the bank corner. They love turn three. Um, they love the speed they're able to carry through the final turn. Um, they really enjoyed it, um, and the atmosphere was wonderful. Hey, if you but like bank not- corners, IndyCar, IndyCar is growing. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, as we will discuss, it wasn't a raceable track, but that that shouldn't come to a surprise to anyone who's ever watched any other category races and it's a narrow old school track there's not much margin for error there are very few passing places um so although we did i mean we did see some passing but yeah i mean well we saw was... passing from perez in the fastest car in the field from the back yes that's that's right. that's where the majority of the passes came from exactly 
And so, well, let's talk about Perez. I mean, that was a highlight for me. I mean, dear Lord, what has gone on with him? I mean, he, he was doing a really good job early in the season and everyone was saying, yeah, well, brilliant decision. Now it's starting to look a bit more questionable, isn't it? I mean, yet again, not only has he was he way off Verstappen's pace throughout the, the weekend, but to not even get out of Q one. Now he didn't get a he didn't get a second run. He missed out on on trying to to salvage his qualifying session. But uh, you know that that's on him and the team. Um, and you know just never looked really very comfortable, did he? And uh, certainly in, in in qualifying, never seemed to have the pace. The the differential across all twenty cars was quite quite small Remarkably so you really so, had to yeah. nail yeah you really had to nail your laps and yeah you really shouldn't be in as you said the fastest car at the Dutch Grand Prix was a Red Bull and to go out in Q1 is unacceptable that is really poor uh, so he's got to really sort that out that's not you know it, it put it put Max in a difficult position Max is now fighting alone against two Mercedes uh, which he proved to be up to the task, but but ultimately, you know, the expectation was that Perez would be a more able uh, rear gunner than than his than, than his predecessors, you know, the likes of Gasly and and uh, Albon. And and this weekend, he just wasn't that. And no matter how many great passes he made in a quicker car, eighth is not good enough. So Perez has got work to do. I mean, he's already got a contract for next year, but he needs to he needs to improve quite quickly, I think, because we've seen Red Bull. Well, aren't afraid to break contracts if necessary and it's a tight championship race both for the drivers and constructors and Perez needs to get back to playing his part doesn't he well he definitely has had some weird I think he's in the same place that uh, Mazepin is to a certain extent obviously much different That's levels hard. of professionalism here but That's where really harsh. well no 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 not 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 levels but same direction like so what I mean is Perez is really starting to try super, super hard to get closer to Verstappen. And as a result, that's making him get farther. That's what I mean. I don't, not anywhere, not with the professionalism, any of those things. But I think the sense that Perez has been out, outraced by his, uh, by his teammate. Now, because of who his teammate is, most everyone expected that except for Perez. Yeah. And, uh, I think the realities of that are getting to him a little bit. Now, it's ironic because this is where I want to give Perez a little bit more credit. The track did seem to improve quite a bit as the session went on, and he just, it seemed like he got pretty unlucky to not get a second lap in. Whereas he was one of the first people to get the first lap in, and then other people got two laps in and fairly, you know, kind of more in the middle, and then he was going to do one at the end, and it just didn't, it, you know, the timing didn't work out because it was bizarre this with that traffic and again because that track is so narrow yeah uh, yes i i don't can't dispute that but you shouldn't be in that situation should you your first lap should be should be comfortably quicker uh quick enough to get into q2 there, there there's no excuse for for setting a lap uh that that gets you knocked out in a red bull uh he, he just he just isn't on the ultimate pace now I think where I thought you were going to go there is, is clearly Red Bull need to do something about the car setup to allow mere mortals to, to extract more pace from it. You know, you, it's fair enough to completely develop the car around one driver and his uh, preferred, you know, characteristics if you need to, you know, 
to do that to compete with Mercedes. And, and they, they are successful, and Max is getting the job done right now. But ultimately, you know, you need two cars to score to win the Constructors' Championship. So you need to maybe look at a different development path for the second car to help the other driver. Because no one else can drive the car like Max can. So we've seen three top-level F1 drivers fail to, to be able to, to get on top of, of the car as it's set up for Max. They need to, they need to figure out a, a, a way to solve that problem. For, certainly for, maybe, maybe this year is too tricky, but certainly for 22. They need to make the, the car more drivable for, for people who aren't called Max Verstappen. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, uh, that's music to my ears, Chris. I mean, that's, I mean, I've been arguing that the team has favored their lead driver too much for a long time. And uh, I, I, I think what you're describing is exactly right. Absolutely. So I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, yeah, just, and I think you're, you're right to put it in the context of this isn't about being, uh, being just generous to both teams and no this is self-interest to uh get the constructors championship which is where the money is so uh, there's a lot of just hard reasons you know hard factual reasons to do it in addition to the fact that it would probably make for better racing if that were the case yeah it's, it's interesting to see if they will make moves to that maybe they already have internally but they haven't really vocally uh, made that statement have they they decided to switch his power unit out. We knew that Honda was marginal on, on PUs for this year and that they would have to make a change at some point. So they, they, they swapped out his power unit. So he, he started from the pit lane, um, which was smart because that made very little difference to his, his uh, grid position. So at least they, they eased the pain a little bit that way. I mean, interestingly enough, uh, I was surprised how close Max came to losing pole position uh you know he he clearly had a couple of tenths or more in his pocket over over lewis um he did a really good first q3 run uh which lewis was able to beat on his second q3 run um and max then went and uh but on his second run was able to to uh to be 38 hundredths of a second faster despite having a DRS issue and making a mistake. But Lewis came really, really close to snatching Paul despite losing a lot of running in free practice, which was which was uh, an impressive effort and could have completely changed the, the, uh, the race result. If Lewis had started from pole position and got away cleanly, then it's a completely, completely different race. But as it was, Max uh, held on, got pole position, and um, and then was able to control things on Sunday. Yeah, and you know that seemed to be kind of the end of it. The race on Sunday was entertaining to watch. It was fascinating to see the attempts made, and there was some tension with pit strategy and some oddness with pit strategy on the Mercedes side. But and I'm not saying this is the end of the conversation, but just briefly as an overview, the race was pretty poor. Just that that that's not a racetrack conducive to close racing and passes. You're right. Top five on the grid finished in the top five in the race. Um, the only one who made real progress was Alonso, who started ninth and finished sixth. So fair play to him. Um, and of course, as you said, Perez made a lot of progress, but then you would expect him to do so. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't. It's, so the Mercedes were were quicker down the straight, um, but Red Bull had such an advantage through sector one that Mercedes were never close enough to try and 
utilize that extra straight line speed and make a pass. I mean, Lewis never looked like like really challenging for for the win, did he? Uh, put it, put Max under a little bit of pressure, but Max. I mean, even after the first lap, spare. even after the first mm-hmm. lap, it was that way. I'd say. I well, mean, it was he had more than a second Max Verstappen did at the uh, beginning of lap two. One point seven seconds Max pulled out on on the first lap. Now that's not that's something that we've seen in other races. Red, uh, Mercedes have a problem getting their tires to temperature this year, having lost the uh, dual axis steer system. So we know that the, that Max has has better tire temperature from the off. But yeah, he utilised it brilliantly. I mean, look, Max drove a great uh, race, didn't he? I mean, he. He had a car advantage, albeit you know not that massive, but he did, and he, and he you know used it decisively in control of the race. No matter what Mercedes tried to do with with Bottas and Hamilton, he was always in control. And interestingly, Red Bull said that they were just going to focus on Lewis, so ignoring what Bottas was doing when Lewis pitted, you know Max was gonna was gonna counter um, and not be uh, susceptible to the undercut. And uh, you know they were willing to sacrifice the win to just score more points than Lewis. So I thought that was a very interesting statement. It ultimately, you know, Max had no problem passing Valtteri anyway when Valtteri found himself in the lead through the pit stop shuffle. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, a, you know, Max, the pressure to deliver in front of your your, your home fans, uh, you know, he lived up to it, very assured, very accomplished, uh, very mature drive. So, you know, congrats to him. You know, Lewis still got second and, and fastest lap that... Uh, uh, minimizes the damage to the championship. It was pretty funny the whole fastest lap nonsense, wasn't it? That Valtteri um, absolutely Valtteri it was the whole the, the two late pit stops at the end there. <laughs> all of this, that started off bizarre, and then the yeah. fact that Botas went ahead and got fastest lap despite quote unquote backing off in sector three. It was a bit weird. Yeah, I mean that was just an act of defiance to some degree, wasn't it? Or or maybe to give him some mitigation maybe he just had way more pace than he expected and and although he backed off it wasn't enough but yeah i mean it was a bit a bit ridiculous forcing lewis to pit and and have to run the risk of you know encountering yellows or or traffic but you know they got it done in the end um but, but aren't it, it's, they it, mercedes i'm sorry to interrupt but aren't they i mean botas is on his way out now obviously he's he doesn't want to burn bridges but I don't think he would want to do anything to hurt his own championship at any rate, and that would include point for fastest lap, right? I mean, it, isn't it reasonable to expect Botas to be a bit more selfish for the last, uh, what is it, 11 Grand Prix? Well, he's almost 100 points behind Hamilton, isn't he? Uh, his battle is with Norris and Perez for third in the in the championship. I, I don't think you need to damage your teammates' title chances and still, well, but finish where you're likely to. But if it if it results in fewer points for you when you're in that battle with Norris and Press, because yes, that's that's the battle he's in. But he certainly doesn't want to lose it. Well, you're right. Now he's now he's been signed to, by uh, Alfa Romeo. You have less control over him, don't you? While you're renegotiating, you can potentially use that as a carrot and keep him in line. Now we have to see if we're going to have a rogue Botas. I, I don't. It's hard to imagine, but hey, it could be a fascinating story for the balance of the season. You could say that friendship between he and Hamilton is finished. <laughs> Take a shot, everybody. Yeah, so it's sad that that's the talking point from the Grand Prix, isn't it? That that, that the kerfuffle over the fastest lap. Um, I mean, the pace that, that Max and Lewis showed lapping everyone 
up to uh, Botas. Uh, I mean, Botas was on the same lap, Insane. but Gasly was lapped. Yeah. Just crazy. Insane. Some, some, quite a few two laps down. I mean, just such a such a big difference, and it shows how good Red Bull are this year to have to have closed the gap and and to be that far ahead of everyone else because they used and, to be in the midfield uh, battle. Mazepin was uh, thirty-one laps down. Just. <laughs> Well, he went sunbathing, I think, halfway through. Had a nice day, Chet. <laughs> I, I guess uh, Perez got driver of the day, but it sounds like uh, Alonso really should get it. I mean, he uh, he almost crashed trying to pass Carlos Sainz um, and, um, you know, put in a storming effort. Apparently, he was he was one of the first drivers or the first driver to find the quickest line through turn three. Uh, was was on it through there far quicker than anyone else uh, in free practice. Uh, put in a storming storming weekend really uh, so you know put Ocon in the shade uh, Ocon was down in ninth so you know fair play to Fernando he was uh, having fun real quick uh, before we move on battle for third McLaren v Ferrari seemed mm. like Ferrari had the upper hand this weekend Lando kind of had an off weekend seems yeah Lando didn't get it together in in quality did he and uh, admitted as much uh, it recovered a little bit in the race but yeah it looks like McLaren didn't quite find the sweet spot um and um and struggled i mean they got they got outpaced by alpine ferrari um and the alpha Tari, which has been unusual for them so we'll have to see if they can bounce back in in monza but yeah it swung back uh, ferrari have an 11 and a half point lead in the constructors championship although norris still has a healthy lead in the drivers so 22 points over over charles so yeah uh, definitely ferrari had a good weekend i mean i think a lot of people expected them to be struggling in the race, but they they seem to hold on. I mean, as I said, Charles started fifth, finished fifth, so so they de- they had decent race pace as well. Any other points you want to make before uh, we move on? Uh, no, I, I think I, I mean there is going back to the has issue. I mean, did you did you watch the incident where Mazapan basically tried to push Mick into the pit lane? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I the whole thing is, and and blame Mick. I, the whole thing is just, just as you stated, maybe not quite uh, explicitly, but Mazbin's not up to this. I I, I don't have, of you know, I have inherent respect for every Formula One driver, including Mazepin, but the least for. <laughs> I mean, he he's just. I got to be careful here. I'm not trying to just be rude to him just for the sake of it but his performance is not backing up his attitude yeah i mean the cardinal rule of formula one is you don't take your teammate out and you certainly you don't defend in a dangerous way so i don't know if he got any penalty points for that but you would think that's that's why they're there wouldn't you you know a a dangerous uh line switch on the straight to to basically risk another driver that's got to be the definition of a penalty point in my mind so i don't know if he got penalty points but this this level of driving is not acceptable in formula one so maybe that's a way to get him out is penalty point him out the sport <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I, I you know honestly we want to get a better sense of how good mick is and we've always had to give the caveat of well yeah, he's better than his teammate, but, you know, and, you know, he's in the slowest car by a healthy margin and has a teammate that no one really wants to give honest comparisons to. So it's kind of, it's damaging Mick in addition to, obviously, Mazepin's not doing himself any favors. Mazepin could be a brilliant 
uh, we're in Stern's championship driver. He could be, he could be doing a lot of things, and uh, just but maybe Formula One isn't for him. Yeah, well, let's hope uh, let's hope he discovers that sooner rather than later. Um, yes, yeah, so maybe Monza's he's going to be brilliant in a few days' time because it's just a few days' time exactly. before the Italian Grand Prix. Yeah, we'll have Kubica back in an Alfa Romeo. There's a sprint race for this. Uh, weekend and there's an expectation that this should be a mercedes friendly track so maybe a chance for lewis to bounce back in the championship who cares about all that i just want to see the the qualifying bus again that's what i'm excited <laughs> about let's oh, get on the lorry and 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 drive through the parabolica let's uh let's really get some lean on the truck this time and see how the interview goes ross braun was interviewed about the sprint format and uh, was talking about the feedback they'd gotten and maybe that Silverstone wasn't the right place because there aren't too many, you know, there's not too much passing at Silverstone and and that they wanted to commercialise it more and uh, maybe, you know, he doesn't see more than potentially three races next year, three sprint races next year, but it all seems still, it'd be interesting to see how it goes this weekend. I I, I did agree with him. He was saying that uh, it fills out the weekend, so it makes Friday more meaningful. We've talked about this. Saturday obviously has a mini race, but it seems that there's still very much a work in progress. He does seem open-minded to, to tweak it. Um, it'll be uh, hopefully another opportunity this weekend to see how successful the actual sprint format is um, and whether it's worth doing and whether it's too long. So one to watch for on Saturday. Absolutely. But um, we're going to move on for now. As I said, Monza is just a few days away, and because here in the United States it was Labor Day, it made it. Um, it gave uh, Chris and I a chance to uh, get some R and R, and that uh, pushed this podcast a little bit later. So uh, it's just going to be a few days, a couple days time when uh, when Monza weekend's already starting. But that's not it, because there's also the final push of the IndyCar season coming up. They're doing this kind of West Coast run, north to south, starting in Portland, then going on to Laguna Seca, which I'm very excited about. They haven't raced in Laguna Seca in a while, and Laguna Seca is a brilliant IndyCar track. And then they're going to finish somewhere where they usually um, not start, but it's towards the beginning of their season. They're going to finish in Long Beach and have the, I do believe it is still the Acura Long Beach Grand Prix now, no longer the Toyota Long Beach Grand Prix. And one person that is very much in that championship is Scott Dixon, and I had a chance to talk to him, and this is what he had to say. Scott Dixon, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us ahead of the final push, the last three races of the IndyCar Series for 2021. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you. It's, uh, yeah, it's been I don't know, a little strange to have the downtime that we have had with the Olympics break and then also this break getting into the last three. But uh, all in all, can't complain. It's been a bit of a strange year for us, a bit rubbish in, in a lot of ways, but but uh, still in contention, which is what counts. Well, you you are still very much in contention, uh, less than 50 points um, out of the championship lead, I believe, even though you're in fourth place. And uh, that's still very achievable in the last three races. But you were second in the championship after the race in Nashville, which, you know, went really well, it seemed like Colton Herta had an extra 100 horsepower or grippier (laughs) tires than everybody else at that track, but then, you know, just kind of unraveled for him at the end. But that was a good result for you, Nashville. But that that was kind of a crazy place. I mean, what was your opinion of the track and of the race? Nine cautions. 
Yeah, I think uh, the event as a whole was was tremendous. I think uh, everybody, you know, been in, in talks for probably five years. You know, you'd heard about this national race, but to see it actually become the event that it did, um, you know, I hadn't spent really any time in Nashville apart from, you know, racing kind of out at the Oval that we had previously, but never much time in, in the downtown scenario. And, and we had to do uh, a pit stop competition on the Thursday night on Broadway Street. I was shocked, uh, <laughs> shocked to see the sights of that town. It's a, it's a crazy place and, and uh, one that I think worked uh, really well for IndyCar. You know, the track itself, I thought was, you know, it was fantastic to qualify. Uh, extremely tough, extremely tight crazy to to kind of go over and and, and back on a, on a bridge so yeah for me it was just you know the race the race was a bit interesting i think you know there was definitely some some <laughs> close quarters um i think had they maybe moved the restart zone would have maybe changed things you know if they'd kind of gone back to the starting position of turn nine uh would have possibly helped but yeah i think for a first event and they knocked it out of the park oh, obviously you can't do much about the red flags and the yellows and things like that that's you know everybody trying to you know make something happen when it when it wasn't possible but uh, as far as the event goes that was it was a tremendous event and then glad to see that you know they'd signed a, a five-year deal and and obviously some of the sections of the track i think they can definitely improve in the future but uh, kudos to, to everybody involved in that one it reminded me a little bit um in a general sense of uh cleveland burke lakefront airport in the sense that you had like 10 lanes of wide open track cars going everywhere and then all of a sudden you have two because you're in a taxi lane or something like that. So these big funnel places where just two race cars can't fit into the same place. And it seemed like Nashville was kind of had a couple of those bottlenecks that really squeezed drivers for especially people like Will Power that really want to really want to make ground. And there just isn't room for that. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, with, with, that's another great track that they should definitely try and bring back. I think this is Cleveland race. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I guess it funnels much like Cleveland, but without the wall, with with walls, you know, which makes yeah, it even sure. even tougher. And and definitely some of those choking points were were extremely tight. You know, once one car kind of got stuck, it was blocking the whole race track. So, you know, uh, again, I think there's a few little things that they could tweak. You know, there's some sections of the track maybe they could move. You know, turn four up a block or two which would equate to, to maybe a bit of a, a wider section but also a proper braking zone for a corner like that which would create a, a great passing zone as well so you know people maybe wouldn't be pushing the restarts um, to try and make something happen as much if they had the speed so yeah again you know it's uh, it's always tough I think to, to go to a, a circuit like you know Nashville for the very first time to see how it's going to race you know I think we saw good racing not just in the IndyCar series uh, throughout that weekend, but but many others. But I think you know to to the point of Herder, you know Herder could show that if you had great speed, you could you could pass cleanly and and make it through you know to the front again. And and uh, he came up a little bit short at the end of the race. But if you do apply the pressure in the right places, you know you're going to make it through. And and uh, you know some other guys I think were just extending themselves too much. But the red flags too, I think. IndyCar's really got to stop doing that stuff. You know, uh, you can't have red flags at the start of the race, you know, and, and they basically gave everybody that was involved in that crash a lap back, which, you know, that, yeah. that, that changes how that, that works points-wise. So, you know, hopefully they can focus on how the race should be run as well. Well, there, there was definitely that. The other thing that surprised me is when we were in yellow, there were opportunities to get into the pits, get <laughs> serviced and come out almost ahead of the pace car. And that seemed completely... I certainly don't blame Oriel Servia for that, but just the circumstances that led to someone taking a pit stop could almost beat the pace car. That seemed just silly. Yeah, I think if they could, uh, I don't know. 
I haven't rewatched that race yet. You know, it's normally something I do in the off season, but you know, if they could speed the pace car up, I know, I know Herder was uh, backing the field up quite a bit and creating a big gap to the pace car, which is not meant to happen. You're meant to get penalized for doing that, but that created, I think a lot of the issues as well. So, you know, again, I don't know that specifically because I haven't watched those replays. It's just what I heard after the race, but yeah, that, that is a major issue, you know, clearly states in the, in the rule book that you can't benefit, you know, in, in, in placing on track. Uh, by taking a pit stop. And, and uh, I think we saw that several times too. And, and, and whether they penalize people for that, I'm not too sure. So yeah, we've seen that at other racetracks. I think Brazil back, you know, and, and maybe the late 2000s was an, a massive issue and uh, with that same case going on. So yeah, again, that's something they'll have to maybe change how that pit road really works. I think in an ideal world, you'd almost run the cars through pit lane as the racetrack and the pit lane would be on the opposite side. Sure. Um, you know, so I don't know that track actually surface and everything in pit lane was probably the best surface on the whole track as well. So, you know, huh. um, we'll well, see, ironic. we'll see how that, that plays out maybe in the, in the future as well. So you leave Nashville second in the championship, head to Indy road course, a place, you know, well, obviously, but it was novel in the sense that you were sharing the weekend with NASCAR and it, I'm just guessing now, it seemed like maybe in qualifying, you got caught out with NASCAR rubber on the ground and that's what caused your small mistake or was it just bad luck? No, I would definitely just say driver error. Um, you know, <laughs> you, it's, you uh, don't have those. You don't. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely do. It, it was a combination of things. We had actually had a failure on the car uh, with the floor and, and it was dragging a lot. So mm. um, I was trying to make up time in an area that I probably shouldn't have tried to. And, and uh, it, it definitely caught me out. And then obviously getting the penalty for causing the yellow, you know, uh, basically moved us all the way to the back and, and probably one of the toughest weekends with having 28 cars there at that weekend. I think that race would have, would have turned out all right. I think we would have made it to the top 10 had we not, you know, in that same instance, I ruined, you know, a set of red tires by that spin as well, that then you can't oh. use in the race. So at the end of the race, we were on blacks and we got, you know, kind of pummeled. So actually, uh, Pagano and myself, you know, just dropped like an anchor on that last stint. But uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it's great, you know, to, to be involved in that weekend, you know, I think to have, you know, the Xfinity series, you know, plus, uh, you know, the, the cup series, there was a little more interaction this year, just because it was less COVID restrictions, you know, uh, NASCAR is pretty, pretty restrictive, I think, in a lot of ways on, on how the, the paddocks, you know, kind of mix. Uh, but it's it's great, I think, for the fans to to just see you know uh, what can play out. And obviously, their race on Sunday was was uh, was plagued with some other issues. But honestly, yeah. it was an exciting race. Uh, and, and kudos to to Armandinger for winning the race there. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly, you know, it, being a longtime IndyCar fan and uh, Skip Barber before that, for myself, you know, seeing Almondinger on victory was, cool. was nice. But uh, did you feel? Was it good for you? Was it good for IndyCar to have a, a doubleheader, to have a shared weekend with NASCAR? Did you like that part of it? I think it's fun. Uh, you know, it doesn't really change a whole lot on, you know, apart from your downtime. You know, the only thing is I will say is, and those cars are extremely loud. Um, so it makes it, it makes it very tough to have kind of any conversation if you're within 10 miles of the circuit at that point. But, um, you know, I think it's important for the series. I think it's important for NBC. They've had some rough races in the past, uh, especially on the Oval for for the Cup Series. 
I don't know. Honestly, it looked like, you know, there were some guys that enjoyed it, but then there was a lot of people that didn't enjoy it, you know, on the, on the cup side, you know, I think they even, they even had a little bit of a protest on one of the days where, you know, the, the cup guys drove around the oval or something, was, which was uh, a little mm. interesting. So, you know, I, I get it. You know, there's a lot of uh, prestige to, to, you know, the Brickyard and, and winning on the oval and, and uh, you know, all that, that goes with it. Maybe they can bring back the apron to, to help that scenario for their cars so they can use a little more, more you know, more of the track uh but we have to see what the future holds but yeah i think it's important for for a lot of you know uh, a lot of reasons um we'll just have to see where they take it down the road whether we do the split weekend again and you know the cup cars run the oval and indy cars you know on the road course but uh, i i think the race was was pretty exciting well i like the idea of it being introduced to new fans potentially guys on the cup side that didn't realize what indycar could provide i was less happy about indycar effectively being the opening race, to me, it should at least be back the cup race and not ahead of the Xfinity race. But I think the way the tires operate, there's an argument to be made about having a clearer, clearer track, things like that. But regardless, you then went on to Gateway. I think you were looking forward to that track ahead of the weekend. Uh, obviously, you've been strong on ovals. You Your race win this year was on an oval. But Gateway, wow, that was just bad luck i mean i guess technically your teammate hit you but obviously it wasn't his fault how was that race from your perspective uh yeah disappointing with qualifying i think you know when i kind of got done i just didn't push the car hard enough you know and mm. i think we still started eight or whatever which would have equated it, it you know by the time you saw that race finish it was you know you kind of just needed to start the race and you'd get a top 10 you know it's just a lot of attrition a lot of weirdness that went on more with the crash, yeah, you know, honestly, it no, Palou didn't hit me. It was just a direct hit from uh, from BK, and then BK rebounded off me and then straight into Palou. So, you know, oh, I thought, team, I thought he bumped Palou into you. I apologize. No, yeah, if you look at it, it, it uh, he just collects the both of us, but at different, you know, he hits me first and then hits Palou, which, you know, which is sad, I think, to, to have two championship fighting cars, you know, take them out in the same accident and, and from the same team. You know, I was definitely bummed, uh, you know, for, for the team in that situation. But you can't do anything about those. BK probably should have understood that, you know, same as the other six restarts we'd taken at that point that it definitely checks up in, in the first corner. So, right. you know, you learn from those things and, and uh, maybe we should have qualified better and we wouldn't have been in that situation, you know. So it's uh, that's racing. you gotta, uh, you got to take the lows uh, as they come. And, and uh, that was just, yeah, definitely a bit of a bummer for the, for the team, I think, as a whole. So uh, we were looking forward to that. I think the car would have you know, been strong and, and we would have, you know, gained some, some great points at that, at that uh, situation. You know, we were kind of different strategies. We were, we were definitely trying to eliminate a stop. And I think Palou was, you know, trying to, to get as much track, uh, you know, position as much as possible at that point. So, yeah, it is what it is and a bit of a bummer for, for the both of us. So, you, you're going into this final, like, West Coast, West Coast swing, north to south. It seems like you're going from a good track to a fantastic track to an historic street course, if nothing else. Do you have some strategic thinking in, like, how are you going to tackle these last three races? I mean, you've got, obviously, the experience over, uh, you know, maybe Joseph Newgarden aside to a certain extent, but you've got experience in the mindset to take in this the mental side of the last three races. Yeah, which I think can play both ways, right? Sometimes it's better to to not know what's ha- what's coming. 
or expectations, right? You know, I, I say that a lot of the times when you go to to the 500, you know, there's guys that have done it for 20 years and then there's guys that are coming as rookies. And, and, you know, I remember my rookie years, the first two or three, it was kind of better just because you didn't really have any expectations, you know, and then there wasn't a whole lot of pressure. You also really didn't know the ups and downs at that point. You know, everything was just ups and everything was just amazing. And so uh, there, there can be a lot of positive from, from not knowing what's coming um, for sure. For us, I think in our standpoint, we just, we just have to go flat out. We have to try and win the last three races. You know, I think that's, that's the only way that you can absolutely secure a championship is to be dominant. So uh, looking forward to Portland. Uh, we had a, we had a good team test there a few weeks back. Laguna was good for us in 19, same as Portland in 19. I think we, we kind of had a runaway in 19 at Portland until the, until the battery failed uh, and took us out of the race there. And then to, to top it off and finish it, you know, the most iconic street course, uh, you know, in the world uh, at Long Beach is, is going to be really fun. You know, it's going to be weird ending a championship there, but I think uh, it will also be really exciting. You know, the, the, the flips that can occur at that place as far as strategy and just, you know, the raceability of that circuit, I think it's going to be a great place to, to finish, you know, the, the entertainment cut series. So looking forward to it, man, it's going to, it's going to happen fast and it's going to come at you fast, but, but excited for, you know, myself and for, you know, the team prospect of, of, you know, coming up with the championship. Well, Scott Dixon, I'll definitely be uh, wishing you the best of luck in the final three races. Uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Pleasure, man. I appreciate it as always. And uh, see you soon. Uh, it's always, always great to hear Scott Dixon's insights. He's just, he's so well-spoken about IndyCar in addition to being so fast. It's going to be a very exciting IndyCar finale to watch. Portland is happening the same day as the Italian Grand Prix, but it is happening several hours later. So uh, it is a great Sunday of racing uh, for any of those that are interested. I'm excited for the IndyCar. Are you going to watch any of those races, Chris? Yeah, I mean, we're getting to the sharp end, aren't we? We'll be interesting to see who can who can lift the crown this year, whether Scott can uh, close the gap or whether Palo or... One of the other young guys can 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 steal their first uh, IndyCar title, so it's well, worth watching for sure. If you have any downtime in between that stuff, you should definitely go to YouTube and check out my latest video because oh, I'm excited to, for your reactions on this one. I I did my most recent one is on the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV. And Mitsubishi decided that you just can't call it a plug-in hybrid. That's not suitable. This is a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. And it is a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. It is a little bit more like the Chevrolet Volt in that it's just solely, the engine solely is there to produce electricity for the electric motors, except that it's not. There is a way to clutch the motor and have it run, but there is no transmission. It's an interesting vehicle. Would you like to know how much it costs? Uh, well, first, I'd like to know what its uh, what what its range is in electric only mode. Well, the official range is twenty four miles. Um, <laughs> although <laughs> I could actually I could actually beat that reasonably. In what scenario do they see that that's a usable EV? I mean, you know, the cities that are introducing uh, EV only. Uh, access so it'd have to be a pretty small city would if you want to commute in your outlander to work and back in pure ev mode that that seems to, it's just too limiting in this day and age in 2021 well, i mean it's it is i mean it's absolutely seamless whether the engine's running or not i mean there's no interruption in power or feel even you know the vast majority 
of the time you're running on electric motor only whether the engine's running or not so it's kind of it that part of it is is not too big of a deal and you have the advantage of it's a 13.8 kilowatt hour battery so it doesn't take that long to charge up um you know it's it's eight hours on a 110 volt system let alone a 220 so you know 220 is probably under two hours yeah, but I mean, if you if you're supposed to be emission free, then then 24 miles is is you know maybe you have to forego the radio and air conditioning. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I, I, so 10 years ago that would have been great. So how much does it cost? This car, given to me, as it was under forty thousand dollars, thirty eight thousand and some change. Is it eligible for the seventy five hundred dollar federal rebate? I do believe so. I, I don't think it's the full. Maybe it's not the full seventy five hundred, but it's it's yes, it's got a large rebate, certainly. And uh, yeah. but this is also the I was given the base model, so I didn't have the usual bits and gadgets and stuff. But it's something. The point is, it's a great video. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. And when you go to funwithcars.com, you'll notice I've been making some changes. The site looks a little bit different. It's more mobile friendly. It should be a more pleasant experience. And we're writing articles. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Yes, that still happens. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Chris, what a lovely morning to have a conversation about Formula One and other things. Yes, indeed. I'm Ron Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.